Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Today I'm going to talk about a sin that we probably all are guilty of. It may be one of the most frequently committed sins among Christians. What sin is it? It is the sin of worry. People today are trying to drown out worry. But worry, fear, and stress have grabbed our culture by the throat. We are surrounded by the evidence. Sleeping pills, alcohol and drugs, mental illness, to name just four of many. The word worry comes from an old German word, wygon, and literally means to choke or strangle. It refers to mental or emotional strangulation through fear, anxiety, stress, and worry. Any of you who do a whole lot of worrying will not disagree with that analogy. Sometimes we feel like we are being emotionally strangled or choked. You may have heard this before. Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it never takes you anywhere. A.S. Roach said, Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. End of quote. You start with a small worry and it can engulf your life and become a way of life. Our society is one of the most lavish and comfortable societies in history, and yet we are the most stressed out and anxious. No worry goes unnamed. No worry goes undefined. No worry goes undiagnosed. And no worry goes unmedicated. They just go unrelieved. People in our culture live with worry and stress. It's so common we don't talk about eliminating it. We try to manage it. But Jesus comes along and says, I'm not going to instruct you on how to manage stress. I'm going to tell you how to eliminate it. And I'm going to be reading today from the Life Application Bible. This first reading is from Luke 12, verses 22 through 34. And this is Jesus speaking. Then turning to his disciples, he said, Don't worry about whether you have enough food to eat or clothes to wear, for life consists of far more than food and clothes. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or have barns to store away their food, and yet they get along all right, for God feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. And besides, what's the use of worrying? What good does it do? Will it add a single day to your life? Of course not. And if worry can't even do such little things as that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? Look at the lilies. They don't toil and spin, and yet Solomon in all his glory was not robed as well as they are. And if God provides clothing for the flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, don't you suppose that he will provide clothing for you, you doubters? And don't worry about food, what to eat and drink. Don't worry at all that God will provide it for you. All mankind scratches for its daily bread, but your heavenly Father knows your needs. He will always give you all you need from day to day, if you will make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give to those in need. This will fatten your purses in heaven, and the purses of heaven have no rips or holes in them. Your treasures there will never disappear. No thief can steal them, no moth can destroy them. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. 
There are only two realms in which you can worry, the physical and the spiritual. And that is precisely what Jesus says you don't need to worry about. So if we do worry, that is sin. In these verses, Jesus discloses several causes of worry. All of them arise from a failure to understand something about God. Someone has correctly observed that all of our failures arise from an improper view of God. The first cause of worry I will talk about today is our failure to understand divine power. I'm going to reread these first two verses. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, Don't worry about whether you have enough food to eat or clothes to wear, for life consists of far more than food and clothes. One of the most prominent and powerful truths in Scripture is that God does have a plan and purpose for His creation. God had a purpose for Abraham and Jacob and Moses and David and Jeremiah and Paul and all the other personalities mentioned in Scripture. But did you realize that it is not just for those Bible folks, but for you and me as well? Do you ever think about the fact that God has a purpose for your life? In the book of Psalms, David wrote in chapter 139, verse 16, You sought me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. And from Jeremiah, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, The Lord said to me, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I sanctified you and appointed you as my spokesman to the world. And this passage describing John the Baptist from Luke chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. For he will be one of the Lord's great men. He must never touch wine or hard liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from before his birth. And he will persuade many a Jew to turn to the Lord his God. There are lots of other scriptures we could examine. The fact is that God uniquely created you and has a plan and purpose for your life. Do you know the grand purpose for which we were all created? Ephesians 1.12, the words of Paul, says that God created us that we should be to the praise of His glory. In an earlier verse of chapter 12 of Luke, verse 13, a man interrupted Jesus and asked him to tell his brother to divide his father's estate with him. Jesus responded by telling the familiar parable of the rich man who built bigger barns for himself. Jesus said, Tonight your life will be required of you. And then Jesus said, You should lay up treasure in heaven. You should be rich toward God. He ends the story in verse 21, but he connects these two stories, the parable and then the verses that I just read, by saying, For this reason I say to you. What reason? The reason he stated in verse 21. You choose whether to lay up treasure for yourself or treasure in heaven. What do you think his listeners are thinking at this point? If we do that, who is going to take care of us? The answer is that God is going to take care of you. In 1 Peter 5, 7, Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Casting is from the Greek, from a word that means to throw or to toss. Cares in the Greek refers to what you are interested in, what matters to you. There is a fundamental point that Jesus is trying to get through to us both in the parable he told and in how he breaks it down for us to understand, and that is a call to discipleship. Jesus was consistently clear in communicating the call to discipleship, both in his teaching and in personal encounters. He called upon his listeners to relinquish everything and instead to rely upon God for everything. Luke 9.23 states, Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself 
and take up his cross daily and follow me. And then I'm going to read from Luke 18, verses 18 through 23. Once a Jewish religious leader asked him this question, Good sir, what shall I do to get to heaven? Do you realize what you were saying when you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good and no one else. But as to your question, you know what the Ten Commandments say. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor your parents, and so on. The man replied, I've obeyed every one of these laws since I was a small child. There is still one thing you lack, Jesus said. Sell all you have and give the money to the poor. It will become treasure for you in heaven, and come follow me. But when the man heard this, he went sadly away, for he was very rich. In response to the question of what is required for the kingdom, Jesus essentially asked, How desperate are you? Are you willing to forsake all? If you respond to the truth and enter the kingdom, then you become his to care for. And will he? Hear this from Philippians 4.19, the words of Paul. And it is he who will supply all your needs from his riches and glory because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. What is the key to that? The key is to trust in the Lord. In the words of Solomon from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. From John 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You are trusting God, now trust in me. Again, it comes down to divine purpose. What does this mean? How does it work? What two things do you think most people, even Christians today, worry about the most? And of course, our answers will vary from person to person, but certainly finances, jobs, families, businesses would be on a lot of lists. But they were not the two most common things that worried Jesus' listeners. Listen again to this verse from Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Don't worry about whether you have enough food to eat or clothes to wear. So, in Jesus' day, most people basically lived to survive from day to day. That was what life was about then, getting enough food to eat each day and having clothes to stay warm. Jesus says not to worry about life, what you're going to eat or what you're going to put on. He explains why in verse 23, for life is more than food and the body than clothing. Another way to say that is that you exist for a higher purpose. If God gave you life, and he did. If God redeemed you, and he did. If God has a purpose for your life, and he does, then he will provide what you need to survive. From verse 24, look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or have barns to store away their food, and yet they get along all right, for God feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Jesus points out here that birds do not generate their own food supply. They are totally dependent on God. What is provided for them by the Creator is all they have. Maybe I should stop right here and offer a disclaimer or balance the truth. Neither this passage nor any other passage in the Bible suggests that Christians do not need to work because God is going to drop everything we need into our laps. In Genesis 3:19, we hear what God said to Adam and Eve. All your life you will sweat to master it until your dying day. Then you will return to the ground from which you came. For you were made from the ground, and to the ground you will return. From Exodus 20, verse 9. Six days a week are for your daily duties and your regular work. Proverbs 12, 11, Hard work means prosperity. Only a fool idles away his time. 
Proverbs 13.4 Lazy people want much but get little, while the diligent are prospering. Proverbs 19.15 A lazy man sleeps soundly and goes hungry. Ephesians 4.28 If anyone is stealing, he must stop it and begin using those hands of his for honest work so he can give to others in need. From 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 8 and 10, these are the words of Paul. We never accepted food from anyone without buying it. We worked hard day and night for the money we needed to live on in order that we would not be a burden to any of you. Even while we were still there with you, we gave you this rule. He who does not work shall not eat. Scripture does not prohibit us from thinking about the future, but it does not want us to worry ourselves to death over it. God provides the capability for us to work, and if we are in a situation where even with our best efforts we can't provide enough, God will provide a way to take care of us. We work, but it is God who providentially provides. God feeds the animals. God has a purpose for their existence. If they who are created to serve me are nourished, how much more should I, who am created to serve my Maker, be nourished? God has promised to sustain us to the end of His purpose for us. And when His purpose for us is complete, we go home. There is an interesting contrast to this truth that I will mention here. Hear these words from the prophet Haggai in chapter 1, beginning in verses 6 through 11. Look at the result. You plant much but harvest little. You have scarcely enough to eat or drink and not enough clothes to keep you warm. Your income disappears as though you were putting it into pockets filled with holes. Think it over, says the Lord Almighty. Consider how you have acted and what has happened as a result. Then go into the mountains and bring down timber and rebuild my temple, and I will be pleased with it and appear there in my glory, says the Lord. You hope for much but get so little, and when you bring it home, I blow it away. It doesn't last at all. Why? Because my temple lies in ruins and you don't care. Your only concern is your own fine homes. That is why I am holding back the rains from heaven and giving you such scant crops. In fact, I have called for a drought upon the land. Yes, and the highlands too. A drought to wither the grain and grapes and olives and all your other crops. A drought to starve both you and all your cattle and ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Why was there no provision for these people? Why? because they had forgotten God. In this lesson today on worry, we have learned that we do not need to worry or be anxious because God has a purpose for our lives, and He will provide everything we need to accomplish His purpose. Our part is to trust His promise. In another lesson later on on worry, we will examine additional truths that relate to God's command to us not to worry. In closing, I want to share this true story from the life of Robert J. Morgan found in his book, Volume 3, Then Sings My Soul. This is about his life. About a year into our marriage, Katrina told me she might be pregnant. There were no home tests in those days, and it took a while to get definitive answers from the doctor. He suggested that we come back for the results in a few days. For reasons I can't remember, Katrina didn't accompany me on the return trip to the doctor's office. I went to hear the news by myself. Yes, the nurse said, we were expecting. Yes, we were going to be parents. Though excited by the prospects, I drove home in a state of nerves. I didn't have a job. I didn't have health insurance. I had no idea how to support my family. We had been trying to find a church to pastor. 
but had been turned down a dozen times. How would we get by? Absently, I switched on the car radio and heard these words suddenly wafting through the speakers. Be not dismayed, whate'er betide. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. Savilla Martin wrote that hymn at the beginning of the 20th century. She also wrote the words to The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power and His Eye Is On The Sparrow. She died four years before I was born, but her song lived on to calm my spirits on that springtime day in 1977. Listening to the words of that hymn, I knew everything would be fine. Have you ever had a similar experience? When in the grip of nervous tension, nothing soothes the soul like the words and melody of one of our beloved hymns. Many such testimonies from around the world fill my filing cabinets, sent in response to the first two volumes of Then Sings My Soul. Nothing can do for us what hymns can, for there's a part of our spirits that only responds to God's truth in musical form. And now I'd like to read for you the other verses of the song, God Will Take Care of You by Sevilla Martin. Through days of toil, when heart doth fail, God will take care of you. When dangers fierce, your path assail, God will take care of you. All you may need, he will provide. God will take care of you. Nothing you ask will be denied. God will take care of you. No matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. Lean, weary one, upon his breast. God will take care of you. God will take care of you through every day, or all the way. He will take care of you. God will take care of you. And you might want to write down this verse, 1 Peter 1, the second part of verse 2. And I leave you with this verse today. May God bless you richly and grant you increasing freedom from all anxiety and fear. Thank you for listening. Be not dismayed, God will take care of you. Beneath His wings of love abide, God will take care of you.
been listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carroll Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal.